From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewenberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. What's going on, basketball fans? Welcome inside the TSN 1050 headquarters. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg here on another Saturday afternoon. We've had, what was it, two weeks off since the last show? Well, I've had two weeks off since the last show because last weekend was the Grey Cup. Shout out to the Argos for bringing it home, getting that W. And then just a programming out next week. December 9th, we are not on as TFC will have their first game for the MLS Cup. There'll be a special uh, pregame programming going on, so home court will not be on, so we will be off for another week. These Toronto teams getting it it's done. Too much role. winning. It's too much winning. <laughs> we have a really good show, though. Uh, 1.30, we've got our two-minute report. Josh's two-minute report with Kyle Lowry. 1.45, Jack Armstrong will join us. At 2 o'clock, Neil Johnson of ESPN Analytics. He had an interesting article coming out uh, about a week ago, so we'll talk to him about that. And at 2.30, Humber College's head coach of women's basketball, AJ Sharma, along with one of the best to play the game in the OCAA, CJ Nofuente will join us live in studio. But gentlemen, the Raptors get the W last night, 121-15 over the Indiana Pacers. Corey Joseph, Kid Canada, Kid Toronto, whatever you want to call him, makes his first return back since the trade. Got a nice ovation. Got a nice ovation. Yeah. And the Raptors have strung together a couple wins, but that third quarter still seems to be the issue. Don't know what's going on they with it. They only lost by they, two last two, night. They got yeah. scored 41-39 <laughs> in that third All quarter. <laughs> but like when you look at that game and... Just like watching the way it played out and again, you know, you almost want to just go like first quarter, second quarter, fourth quarter and not even talk about the third. But then the fourth quarter becomes the third quarter if you eliminate the third quarter. Exactly. They've got to find a way to just replay the second quarter. You want to play two second quarter. They're elite in the second quarter. They've won 12 straight second quarters and then the third quarter rolls along and they're a different team. It's bizarre. Uh, obviously, Dwayne Casey has talked about it ad nauseum this year, both inside the locker room and out. They're looking for solutions, and they can't figure it out. They tried resetting yeah. the locker room scoreboard to 0-0 at halftime to trick the players. They're turning the lights on, turning the lights off in there. Shorter video packages, longer video packages. They're doing layup lines uh, during the halftime break. Not doing like la- They are trying everything, and they can't figure it out. Is it, and I know, like, we, Dwayne, you and I talked about it in the post-game show. Josh, you weren't joining us because you were in the locker room talking with players and coaches after the Charlotte game. But even after the game, like you could tell how just the tone of his voice, how frustrated and pissed off Coach Casey was with that third quarter. Is and he's mentioned like I don't know if I've got to change the lineups. Like is that at a point where he's got to change the lineups and see if maybe that helps, or is it at this point still on? Is it just on the players? Period. But before I answer that question, uh, that was crazy. Yeah. On Wednesday. Yeah. That was a thirteen point win, and if you didn't know any better, if you had not tuned into the game at all, you're just listening to Dwayne Casey afterwards, you would have guessed. 20, 25 point loss just based yeah. on the way that he sounded in, in uh, my seven years now of covering a Dwayne Casey coach team. That was among the most agitated post game press conferences that yeah. I've ever seen from him. The shortest, too. He spoke for like 90 seconds. So, yeah. It was two questions, and he, I've, I've never actually heard him say, Are we done? 
Yeah. Like he looked at, he, he, I mean, obviously I know he's looking at the press corps because we're just hearing it come through the feed, but looks at you guys and is like, are we done? Okay, thanks, bye. Obviously, you know, Kyle with a career high, eight three-point shots. It's like, you can't shoot you out of a yeah, game. Yeah, no, he wasn't like, having any he, of that. He wasn't trying. Nothing. He always wanted to kind of always be hard on the team and find, you know, the, the flaws that need to be corrected and stuff, but it's been an issue, and he was not having, as you mentioned. Well, I mean, when you're the head coach of a winning team, a team with aspirations higher than just winning regular season games against Charlotte in late November. Without Kemba Walker. Without Kemba Walker. I mean, you've got to consider process over results. The win... Fine, whatever. It's nice. Yeah. It's better than the alternative, certainly. You don't want to lose a game like that because then you've got bigger issues. But ultimately, you have to look at how they're winning games. There's a lot to like right now, and it is sort of unfortunate that we're sitting here and leading a show off uh, after a few really nice wins here with a, a negative. Let's let's use this as the minus segment here yeah. because I think yeah. our minus <laughs> yes. probably all going to be the third quarter. Right. Of course. Um, there, there's a lot to like here. If you're a Raptors fan, and there's a lot to like if you're Dwayne Casey, and believe me, we'll get to all of that. But the one thing that stands out right now is the third quarters, and they've got to figure it out. Now's the time to do it this early in the season. Yeah, yeah. and you're not going to be an elite team, and we talked about this post game show. You're not going to be an elite team in this conference if you can't if you're giving up third quarter halftime leads in third quarter, not coming strong. Like it's okay, we're, and it's not really okay, but it's okay against teams like Charlotte. It's not okay against teams like Boston or Cleveland or the teams of Western Conference to get behind the numbers a little bit. The problem lies on the defensive end in the third quarter. The Raptors are dead last in the NBA in points allowed per hundred possessions in the third. Uh, it comes down to a lack of mental focus, which is something that Dwayne Casey has talked about. There's not one obvious cause to the problem and therefore there's not one obvious solution it's uh, the bigger picture of coming out of the halftime break with the same sense of urgency that right. we see in the fourth quarter when the Raptors yeah. are generally a very good team right yeah. Look, looking at these games now that we've sort of that's we've got all the negative out of us right we're we're good we've got it all out with that third <laughs> we'll quarter see. and our, our I mean that's, our that's a big part uh, it's, it yeah. is a big part we but, can move on though yeah. but like look, looking at these games Let's and as you positive. mentioned Josh they've had some pretty positive wins you heard with the update just now from John Leatherby before we started the show they are they're off until Tuesday they welcome in the Phoenix Suns and they're looking to make it four straight wins in a row on Tuesday evening there are some positives when you look at it outside of the third quarters and in my mind, it's been a lot of ball movement, and that's been leading to a lot of, you know, you look at this new system they're running on the offensive end of the floor that's sort of, from what I've heard, been spearheaded by Nick Nurse and sort of implementing yep. it and putting it together. And it comes down to the fact they're moving the ball a lot more. And, you know, people always wonder, you know, DeMar's not getting the same the same points he's normally getting, not putting up the same numbers we typically see in past seasons. That's because he's being more of a facilitator, because he's buying into what's yes. going on in the offensive side, and he likes it because he knows that when push comes to shove, if it's him and Kyle on the floor, if it's just him on the floor, depending on who's on, you know, if he's with the second unit or Kyle's off taking his allotted time that he usually goes off the floor, DeMar knows that push comes to shove, eight seconds left on the shot clock, if they can't get anything, the ball's most likely coming back to him. 29 assists for the Raptors yesterday against the Pacers. They've now recorded 25 or more assists nine times through 21 games. They did that nine times in 82 games yep. <laughs> last season. So this is a very different-looking team offensively. It's been a very good team offensively to this point in the season. They rank third in offense behind the Warriors and the Rockets, two other pretty good offensive teams. And to your point, Megan, it's the guys that 
are at the top of the hierarchy, the top of the depth chart, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, the stars that are leading the way, and that's what the Raptors needed. If they were going to change their stripes, change their DNA, their personality, and their identity without changing the personnel, you need the stars, the best players to buy in and really lead that charge, and they have to this point. And of those nine games, uh, whether they're 25-plus assists and they're 8-1, and one, obviously, the ball moves, it's better for this team, it's better for Kyle, it's better for DeMar. And I think DeMar is kind of the guy who his assists have been up at, you know, he's, he was the, he's the, the antithesis of the, of the ball doesn't move. He finds guys out of the double team. He's dribbling and penetrating and that's in passing, which I think opens up for everyone. And that's why this team is better offensively. And that's the thing that we didn't really think we'd talk about this team being better offensively with Coach Casey as I'm using air quotes being a defensive coach. My plus for this week, obviously in addition to the ball movement, is my plus for the first quarter of the season. And yes, we are now at the quarter poll. It's the bench mob. The De- second unit. Hashtag demob. Sure. Is that not what, I'm pretty sure that's what they're dubbed on social media. Hashtag best bench in the league, according to C.J. Miles, who made that claim in the preseason. We all sort of kind of chuckled like, that's a nice little sentiment, best bench in the league. But uh, that was wildly hyperbolic at the time, considering that that second unit consisted mostly of guys who had barely played in the NBA. Rookie, a uh, couple sophomores, some third-year players, and then, of course, the bench dad, C.J. Miles. <laughs> yeah. But... Man, have they been a pleasant surprise. And one of the biggest strengths of a team that's 14-7 and right now. Uh, The Raptors bench leads the NBA in net rating. They've outscored opponents by 12 points per 100 possessions. Only one team in the NBA in the last 20 years have had a better bench net rating over the course of a full season. That was the Bulls in 2011. So not only might they be the best bench in the league right now, they're putting up pretty historic numbers, and they're doing it without Kyle Lowry propping them up as he's done with the Raptors bench over the last couple years. Casey has shown the trust and the confidence to throw those guys out there in five-man bench units, and they're not only treading water until the starters come back in, they're increasing leads. Yeah, without question. I mean, mine's kind of part of that. Um, Philadelphia, there's a little movement going on called Free Jaw. Uh, <laughs> Mine was Free Yak um, in terms yep. of how you know he was kind of being used after the second year after being like the first guy off the bench. And, of course, Baby was going on minutes. Now with Baby's calf injury, um, Yak was released last night, obviously. Uh, career high, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 2 blocks in 25 minutes. And I think you know he's a key guy for this team to get those minutes to play because I think when he's not getting that minutes to get that rhythm, he was the first guy to say it's kind of weird when everyone is playing. Right. And now when he knows he's getting those minutes, he can go in there and deliver and execute, and especially when we talk about JV being kind of like the situational guy. Having Yak having the minutes to play and do his thing, I think it's important. If he can get more minutes being that first big guy off, it's all better for this ball club. He's the type of guy that's going to fly under the radar throughout his whole career because he doesn't do anything yeah. that jumps out at you. He's right. not super athletic. He's not a great shot blocker or rim protector in that sense. He's just so fundamentally sound, especially at such a young age. Defensively, he's in the right places at the right time. Yeah. Offensively, he sets great screens, he rolls hard, he finishes around the bucket, and you know what you're going to get. He's just consistent, and that's, to me, always been the biggest difference between Nagara 
and Pirtle. Uh, it's not an indictment on Nagara, who I like a lot as a player. I, I like him a lot as a, a person. Perfect. He's easy to root for. And I think nightly his ceiling is probably higher than Pirtle when he's healthy and when he's focused. But he's got those nights where, for whatever reason, the focus isn't there. That's not going to happen with Pirtle. The floor is a lot higher. And quite frankly, it's it's time now, whether Bebe is hurt or healthy, for Dwayne Casey to find at least 20 minutes a night for Yak because he's earned it. You're right, and I think that's that's it's kind of like we talk about Tim Duncan, who's probably you know the greatest power forward to play the game. Yep. But because he does things fundamentally sound, right. get all the things supposed, you don't really notice it's not flashy. Um, Baby's a guy who will make can make two great plays and then make two bad plays. Yeah. Pirtle makes like no, neither. He doesn't move on the spectrum, but they're always consistent, right? So you kind of overlook that stuff. And all the things you mentioned, he has great hands, runs the floor well, does all those things. And that's what you're supposed to do, so we don't get excited about it. But he's solid at what he does. Pitched the perfect game last night. Eight for eight. <laughs> yeah. We'll actually talk more about Bebe's injury and what that means for Jakob and the Raptors. Head over to at TSN 1050 Radio on the Twitterverse. Get in your votes on the poll question. Who has been the most valuable Raptor on the second unit so far this season? Hashtag Raptors. Get your votes in. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about the injury. We've got a lot more to talk about, including some news from Kyle Lowry on his two-minute report with Josh Lundberg coming up at 1.30. It's time for Home Court Contested Shots. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. I mean, that's what you work for. It's, it's, that's what you put the work in for in the summer. Um, you go out there, you try to play the right way, do the things they're asking you to do, and, and you kind of can earn that trust as time goes on. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Meg McPeak, Josh Bloomberg, Dwayne Watson here with you this afternoon. And gentlemen, I mentioned it before we went to... Uh, break for folks to head over to at TSN 1050 radio on the Twitterverse, get their votes in. I'll throw it to you guys. Now the poll question for this week, who has been the most valuable player or most valuable Raptor and the R on the second unit so far through this first quarter of the season, Jakob Pertl, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam or Papa miles. All of the above. Is that an option? (laughs) Well, I mean, it would tie into your plus from last segment being that the bench has been the plus for the Raptors thus far. But you've, I'm sorry, you can only pick one. Okay, uh, I'm going to go Pascal Siakam. I mean, he, he stepped in in the starting lineup uh, in a few games when uh, Ibaka missed some time with the knee injury, JV, early on in the season. Uh, again, uh, just a pleasant surprise considering he started the season outside of the rotation altogether. But he has uh, stepped up, has changed games when he's come in with his energy, um, the shot. Still needs some work. That's been clear, especially over the last few weeks. But unlike last year where the fact that he was a bit of a liability from beyond the arc really chased him out of the lineup, it was what ultimately prompted the decision to take uh, Siakam out of the starting lineup last year. He's finding ways around that now, ways to still be valuable to make an impact especially offensively, even without shooting the ball. I yeah. think the biggest reason why is he's making plays. His passing has gotten a lot better. His ball handling. Uh, defensively, obviously, he's been huge guarding guys at basically every position but the five at various points this season. So, I, I mean, 
honorable mention here to the other three guys, and then you can also throw in DeLon Wright before his injury, OG Ananobi before he moved to the starting lineup, and now Norman Powell, who's fit in nicely with the second unit. But I'll say Pascal. You just went through almost more than half the roster there at the tail end. Yeah. But, I mean, one thing I look at, and Pascal is definitely good because I think his ability to play with the second unit and play against guys at that level has shown how good he can be. But this poll is so closely balanced, like 27, 20, 24, 29. And that's a testament to the fact that it's a balanced second unit. It's not just one guy who's kind of doing all the work. And, I mean, if I had to pick one person, we talked about Jakob, but he was my plus for the week, and we talked about how he's consistent, but there is kind of upside. I mean, what he did last night if, in one game, not recency, whatever, but if he's dropping 18 points off the bench for you, like that's, and not that's going to happen every night, but that's a big upside to what you can get uh, from these guys, but you know, I could go through all of them too. I mean, Fred Van Vliet has been like can phenomenal. we talk? Can we talk about Fred Van Vliet now, please? <laughs> uh, see, no, 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 waited for Josh someone was, else to bring it up. Josh he was, was really, waiting, he like, was really waiting. Seat, Wasn't he like, like, just, I'm not like bring it up, but hey, they just waiting for that name to be mentioned. I'll just pile on. The floor is yours. I'll just pile on. Can I mention something about Yaka before you go to Fred? Sure. I think with the injury to Bebe, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a moment, but I think with the injury to Bebe, you can expect Jakob, with Hill now probably be the first big off the bench for JV. Obviously, situational might be might might play into it, but I would expect him to at least give us like 10 to 12 points a night when you're the first big coming off the bench, and you're going to have a very big impact, depending how long Bebe could be out for, because we don't actually know the timetable for him. I'm going to make Josh wait a little longer now, but um, I definitely, I think that's kind of how it was trending. I mean, I think we saw it early in the season where Jakob was showing he was that guy, and then we saw, you know, Bebe getting in more minutes, and Bebe getting in before him, and it was like, I was like, why are we sending Jakob's growth? And not that Bebe didn't deserve to play, but he was not, be, he was the last guy off the bench at times, so now with the opportunity to kind of continue with doing with the moments and the minutes and how he's playing with, with, with and when Kyle's playing with the second unit as well, it's only going to benefit him. Depth is a great thing, but we, we've talked about this in the past. There are, in addition to the pros, there are some obvious cons to having a big rotation, especially right. in the front court where guys like Pirtle were only getting in there for... Uh, 10 minutes a game in short stints here and there, really tough to get into any kind of rhythm or flow. Uh, so I actually think, and I hate to say this because it comes at the expense of right. Bebe's health, I actually think that this might be a, for the for the best for the team going forward. It, it sucks for Lucas, and I feel for him. Uh, again, whenever it seems like he's taking a step forward in his career with his play, right. He's taking a couple steps back as a result of an injury. Um, I think some of it is bad luck. I, I mean, something like this, a, a torn muscle in his calf, that's not a pain tolerance thing. That's not him being injury prone or not being tough enough. Like he, He's legitimately hurt right now. Right. I think in the past there's been some situations where he could play through something and has chosen not to. Um, but... For a guy like that, with all the talent he has, all the upside, still a young player, and again, easy to root for. You you hope for a quick recovery, and you hope that he can uh, have a, a stretch, have a season where he's in good health, injury-free, and can actually build some momentum towards having a, a long, sustainable NBA career. If not here in Toronto, then somewhere else. Now you can talk about Fred. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Plus, minus, God... Fred Van Vliet, I guess taking over from Patrick Patterson and Amir Johnson, who in past years has put up those big plus-minus numbers with the Raptors. And, and don't get me wrong, it, it's not a be-all, tell-all 
stat, but right. the fact that Van Vliet leads the team a plus 131, 131 on the season. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that he's been on the floor when the Raptors have gone on big runs or made big comebacks, increased leads. He Good things happen when he's out there on both ends of the floor because of how hard he plays and how smart of a player he is. He rarely makes mistakes. The comparison has been made now a ton over the last year to Kyle Lowry in the way that he just... Uh, goes after guys diving on the floor for loose balls, getting into guys defensively, playing, as we'll talk to or hear from Lowry in the next segment, playing um, taller, bigger than your height. That's Fred. And this shouldn't come as, I think it is coming as a surprise to a lot of people, but it shouldn't. We talked about this when DeLon Wright went down. Fred is a guy throughout his career, both professionally and prior to that, He's a guy that's taken advantage of opportunities, and he's doing that now without DeLon. It's interesting now and timely, obviously, with Corey Joseph being in, in town yesterday. The Raptors had one of the best point backup point guards in the NBA in Corey Joseph the last yep. two seasons. He leaves. You replace him with DeLon Wright, who was as good or better than Corey to begin this season. Delon goes down, you replace him with Fred Van Vliet, who has been as good or better. So, uh, What's Toronto without a point guard controversy? Yeah, seriously. Throughout the, the, the history of the franchise, there's been TJ Ford, Jose Calderon, and, you know, so many different guards that play. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that's good, and you're right. I mean, you talk about the plus-minus, and it is kind of telling, though, because he's locking minutes now, and we know that they're doing the two-point guard lineup with Kyle and Van Vliet out there. So... He's got to cover somebody, and he's out there holding his own, as well as kind of like facilitating, knocking on the three ball, doing everything right. And I think not that you know we're writing off the lawn right, but Fred has definitely stepped up in this back of all. I've I've already gotten a few people asking, well, what happens when Delon comes back? I don't think it's an issue, and I don't think it's a controversy because right. remember, Fred was playing and was actually closing some games yeah. even when Delon was healthy. Yep. The NBA being what it is now, a smaller, quicker league, teams are playing multiple point guards at one time. And we know Dwayne Casey is always like doing that. If your goal down the road is to continue to limit Lowry's minutes and preserve him for the playoffs, keep his usage down, then that's more of an opportunity, especially with the second unit, for Fred and DeLon right. to play together. So I think there is room for all three of those point guards now. And there one, wasn't room for four of them, which of is course. what made Corey expendable. <laughs> and one key thing that we haven't mentioned yet, um, he takes care of the ball better than anybody right now. Yep. Yeah. He limits the turnovers, and it's fun to watch. When we come back, we'll have our two-minute report with Kyle Lowry. Keep in mind, Jack Armstrong will join us at 145, and we'll go analytics crazy at 2 o'clock with Neil Johnson of ESPN. Keep it locked right here on Home Court on TSN 1050. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. DeMar drives into the lane, kicks to Kyle. Corner jumper, good for three again. Oh, shake him down, Kyle Lowry. He's 8 of 11 from behind the arc tonight. This is the two-minute warning with Josh Lindbergh on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors and Leafs headquarters. Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, Meg McPeak, and... A couple days ago, Josh got to talk to the Bulldog himself. You caught up with Kyle Lowry and kind of talked a little bit about everything. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's been the ultimate little big man in the NBA this year, having a career year on the boards in addition to all the other things that he's done over the last few weeks to really turn around his season after a slow start. But it, it's been those hustle numbers that have really stood out. He took his NBA leading 15th charge last night, and he also grabbed another seven rebounds. He's now averaging 6.3 boards on the season. That's second on the team to only seven-footer Jonas Valanciunas, and he ranks fourth in the NBA among guards in rebounds. But what he's doing right now, most impressively, is actually historic. Uh, He had 10 or more rebounds in three straight games last week, becoming only the second player listed under six foot one in NBA history to ever do that. He's recorded 10 or more rebounds six times this year. The next time that he does that, and we can only assume in 60-some-odd games, he'll do it again. The next time he does that, he'll be the first player under six foot one in NBA history to record 10-plus rebounds in seven games in a single season. So I asked him, in a league with so many big physical dudes, what is it that makes a guard a good rebounder? Knowing where the ball's going to bounce and understanding angles and how shots are taken and where they're taking that on the floor, I think that's the one thing where I've always been good at understanding where the ball is going to bounce. Also, my bigs have done a great job, man, of boxing out and, you know, me going to get them, you know, outside, rebounding outside of my area is one of the things I've always been particularly good with. So for you, how much of it comes down to technique, things like positioning and timing, as you said, or just sheer will? It's a lot of positioning and timing, but at the same time, it's still some sure, like just wanting it. Sometimes just wanting to go get it and being able to say, I got it over my bigs. As long as I can remember watching you in the NBA, you've always played bigger than your height. Where does that come from, or where did that come from? Is that a Philly thing? Has that always been a Kyle Lowry thing? I think it's a Philly thing. It's been a me trying to find ways to be effective, to always help my team. Um, you know, those loose ball rebounds are big. Those bouncers, those floor rebounds, those those rebounds are always big, and that's always the way I felt like I can help the team and understanding that in situations that you know, I got the rebound, it'd be a lot easier for me to push than someone else. Even something like taking a charge, which you lead the league in, a a dude like DeMarcus Cousins coming towards you, the first instinct that most people would have is get out the way. What makes you stand your ground? It helps my team. At the end of the day, it's all about helping my team. It's all about winning plays, and winning plays makes a big difference in NBA NBA players. When you make winning plays, it's a great feeling. Is there an art to taking the charge, or is it as simple as getting in someone's way? It's an art to hurting yourself. (laughs) That's basically what you're doing, is hurting yourself. But um, I don't know. I've just always been a guy that's been able to take charges, and um, I've always been strong enough to do it, and I've always been able to... um, I know it's a game changer. It's a momentum changer all the time. You probably feel the coaching staff cringe every time you do it. Yeah, I feel myself cringe every time I do it. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to feel it a little bit right now. But whatever helps to win games, you know that, Josh. At the end of the day, we win games. I don't care how I feel. I'm, I'm winning games. Josh, do you know that as long as they're winning games, he's winning games? <laughs> I mean, it shows that that's the, the number one priority for Lowry, who puts his body on the line every night. I saw a funny tweet yesterday. I wish I could remember who it was from to credit it, but 
somebody said that he leads the league in near-death experiences <laughs> per game. I, I mean, he, he puts his body on the line yeah. every night, and it's one of those things where even if it's great right now that he's shooting the ball well and putting up those numbers that we're used to seeing from Kyle Lowry, but even when the shot isn't falling because he's creating extra possessions by taking charges or going and, and uh, wrestling the ball away from bigs in the paint, um, holding his own on switches... Um, in the low post when he has to cover a guy that's significantly bigger than him. Those right. are the things that make him valuable regardless of what his other numbers look like. I think more importantly, I mean, we know he's the leader on this team, obviously what he does on the floor, but leading by example on like putting your body in harm's way to take a charge to make a big play to kind of change momentum for a game, that's that's what leaders do. And I think that's, you know, we talk about guys like JYD, different like energy players, whatever, but when your best scorer and one of your best defenders and one of your best rebounders out there taking charges, that, that, that sends the message to everybody. And it's a catch 22 because if you are Masai Ujiri and Dwayne Casey and the Raptors organization and you have $100 million invested in this guy, you probably don't want to see him. Standing his ground, getting flattened by DeMarcus (laughs) Cousins, right? Especially, I mean, he does this in like preseason games. He does this in like blowout fourth quarters. But at the same time, you look at Kyle Lowry and how important he's become to this team, the type of player that he's turned himself into, and that's who he is. If it wasn't for those things, outworking guys, outthinking guys, getting leveraging any kind of advantage out of just simply putting his body on the line and and, um, and outworking players, he wouldn't be the guy that right. he is because he's not LeBron James. He's not Russell Westbrook. He's not Chris Paul. He doesn't have an elite athleticism or quickness, and he certainly doesn't have elite size even at that position. But what he does, he does better than anyone at his size, maybe ever. And when you think about it too, getting in the lane to take those charges or take those hits or, you know, get in the lane when a big brings the ball down, just a disclaimer, NBA scouts, your scouting report should say to your bigs, don't put the ball down and bring it down way below your shoulder, below your shoulders when Kyle Lowry's on the floor because he's coming in to take it away from you. Um, that's just instinctual. That's his instinct to do it as a player. And you can't, it's, it's like when you hear coaches or analysts say, you can't teach athleticism. You can't teach speed. You can't teach instincts on the defensive end. And that's something that you can't, he, he's not taught that. He, it's just his instinct. And it's, it's phenomenal to see him do it. And it's fun to watch. But even like when, when you're watching a game and he goes in the lane and you know that he's going to take that charge, you kind of like my body kind of tenses up and is like, ooh, here comes the hit. Especially when Boogie is coming down the lane. He's taken more charges this season than 11 entire NBA teams. That's a third wow. of the league. Wow. 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 So we kind of have... We talked about it, but kind of like brushed over it. So Corey Joseph returned last night. Yep. Are you surprised there was no video tribute or no video like thank you or anything for? I and I know he only played two seasons, but like this is Toronto. He's from the area. He's GTA. Like, are you surprised? And with all due respect to Jamal McGlure, who is the first Canadian to play for the Raptors and obviously still right. a part of their organization, Corey Joseph is the first Canadian to come here and play a big role on a winning Raptors team. It's what he represented and what he did not only for the franchise but for the city, for the country, for the 
sport here, I think, is something that was worthy of some recognition. I was surprised that they didn't run something, and I thought they were going to, especially when Herbie calls our attention to the big screen for a special <laughs> presentation. It's the Argos, which is great, but yeah. I'm like, okay, well, where, where's Corey's? And then a few minutes later, look up at the board again, special presentation, and it's TFC, which again is great, but I'm thinking, okay, well, where's the love for Corey? I think Corey did get the love. I think that he got a, a good ovation from the fans, a good recognition when he you know, is now thinking of the game. Um, I think there's a lot of respect for what he's done, but I think I look at those presentations for like, you know, legacy acts, and I mean, not that Corey didn't give a lot when he's here, but it was only two years. It wasn't that, that significant amount of time to like warrant I'm not surprised that he didn't get it. and not be, It's not a condemnation of Corey, what he's done as a Raptor, or what he's done for the city of Toronto, or done for basketball for Canada. Just in terms of like what he did for the Raptors, I don't think it was enough for a video. My two cents. What's the minimum amount of time that you have to play for a franchise or, before you get well, the video? Well, I, I, think, I think in two years, if you take them further than, if, you, if, if you're a key player taking them further than what they got, then yeah. There's right. so much, it's interesting, because there's so much that goes into it. We were talking about this off-air, and none of us can remember Chris Bosh ever getting a video tribute uh, after he returned, or even for the 20th anniversary. Now, I believe, I believe that the Raptors ran that by Bosh during the 20th anniversary when they ran tributes for a lot of different players. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Vince Carter, I believe, was one of the few active players at the time that got a tribute, I think, maybe... Calderon as well, a few other guys. Mm -hmm. But they actually give the active guys and the the retired guys the option. Do you want the video tribute? And I think Bosch said no that year. Uh, But even when he came back, and the reason why I bring this up is obviously, as I said, lots of factors. The way Chris Bosch left uh, probably didn't endear himself to too many Raptors (laughs) fans at that point. But in the case of Corey Joseph, he's beloved here. But as you said, maybe there is a minimum amount of time, minimum amount of contribution that you need to give before you get the el- el- elusive <laughs> video. video tribute. Right. When we return, 145 Jack Armstrong, the coach, will be joining us. You know what? Fans, if you're listening in, let us know. Let me and the guys know on Twitter what if you think that Chris Bosh should have a video tribute and if you would give him an ovation, let us know. Like, let's see what the fans... Now, now they would. Let, Ta- let's time see what heals the fans. all I mean, wounds, it, it took, what, like 10 years before we could allow Vince Carter back exactly. in the building before getting booed? We continue on here. Coming up next, Jack Armstrong will join us. We'll talk raps. We'll talk a little bit of everything. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. DeMar up top to Siakam, swing to Van Vliet for three, good, down the bottom of the well for the Wichita State shocker, Fred Van Vliet. Welcome back to Home Court right here on TSN 1050, Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg. And now on the line, joining us as always that he does, the coach, Jack Armstrong. Jack, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon as always. Oh, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Now, before we even get into basketball, are you ready for your your tough Bills game tomorrow? I am. Uh, I'm leaving my house at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'll be there at the tailgate by 9, raring to go. So, you know, we'll definitely dominate the tailgate. I'm not sure at (laughs) 1 o'clock what will happen, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun. It's the last Bills game I can go to this year because next Sunday I'm in Sacramento, and the following Sunday... We have a Raptor game at home, and those are the last two Bills home games, and then they're on the road for the final two. So 
Whatever happens, I'll have a good time. Jack, are you wearing your hello to uh, the game tomorrow? You know what? Uh, people, uh, I brought some to the arena last night. I am all out of them. I don't, oh, even, have very I don't even have one for myself. What about me and the guys? Well, I, believe me, I don't even have one. My kids <laughs> don't even have one. I mean, anywhere I turned last night, people were grabbing them for me. So I'm out of them. But uh, I'm sure there'll be more on the way. It's a hot commodity. Jacko, let's jump into it. And I'm, I don't even want to go third quarter. I, I want to ask you a question. Looking ahead at this schedule, the Raptors have seven games coming up against teams that none are above 500. Do you see the Raptors going 7-0 and when you're looking at this schedule? Wow. Ah, uh, man. Woo. They've got Phoenix, Memphis, Sacramento, Clippers, Phoenix, Brooklyn, Sacramento again. Well, I'll say this. Uh, they'll have a shot every night. And they'll probably be favored all seven. I mean, if now if Mike Conley comes back, uh, I mean, obviously Blake Griffin's hurt. Uh, you know, I, I, I would imagine they'll probably, even though, even though some of these games are on the road, I would imagine they'll probably be favored in all of them. Uh, now, will they win all seven? That's going to be tough. Anytime you play on the road, it's, you know, it's a difficult proposition. But I, I think they have, you know, if, I'll say this. If they're going to have a really good year, like if we're talking about a team that's north of 50 wins and approaching 55 and in the top three and, you know, kind of dictating terms a little bit in terms of home court and maybe even getting to the top two and, and hosting the first two rounds of the playoffs, if you're going to do that and if you want to do that, you better win six at least and probably seven of these games coming up. That's a, that's a legitimate point. Jack, I think the only person that expected the Raptors bench to be among the league's best was C.J. Miles, who made that claim in preseason, and I hope he put some money on that because the odds would have been pretty good at that point. Uh, they've been a pleasant surprise, certainly. Is there one or two guys uh, through the first quarter of the season that have really stood out to you in that group? Well, Josh, I, I, would, I, would, I would echo your thoughts, and I would go one step further. I think Masai Ujiri in the front office really felt that these kids could develop. And, uh, you know, I think they're incredibly super patient and super committed, uh, maybe more so than most people in our, in our impulsive, reactionary, sky-is-falling business. So I think they had more faith, uh, and, and, you know, and now that faith has grown. You can see Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. They believe in these kids now. Like, they're having fun. Even though the Raptors won 51 games last year, I, you, you guys could have, you'd have to ask those guys the question. But I, I look at their body language. They seem to be having a lot of fun right now. Like, they go, man, these kids are pretty good. But, you know, to answer your question, uh, Fred Van Vliet had a rocky start. Man, oh, man, he's kicking tail right now. He's playing really well. And I was a big believer when I was a college coach. If you can get players from winning high school programs with great coaching, they're going to make you look really smart. And I think Dwayne Casey's the beneficiary of getting a guy from a winning collegiate program who is really well coached. Who's, you know, he and Ron Baker, one of the two of the best all-time college backcourts that nobody talks about. And uh, those guys are, are both in the league for a reason because they got great winning habits. So he's one. Pascal Siakam's been fabulous. He's been awesome. I mean, just his energy, 
I said it on the air last night, and he's a better passer than, than like, his numbers appear. I mean, he's, like, aware, alert. He knows where things are supposed to go next. Uh, Jakob Pertl, wow. I mean, he is just, uh, he's a young man that, in today's NBA, he's got that mobility to guard. And, and uh, he's, you know, he's very athletic. He's got great hands. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's an improving player. And, and I tell you what, DeLon Wright, before he got hurt, uh, you know, for a 20th pick, uh, you know, I mean, he looks like a guy that if he, if he can tighten his jump shot up and consistently make threes, he could be a starter in this league. So they got some good young pieces, and it's probably one I forgot. But, uh, you know, and, and obviously OG is uh, a guy that I think is a great fit in the starting lineup. You don't have to run any plays for him. He's got super basketball IQ. I love his makeup. He's a two-way player, and he's only going to get better with age. Norman Powell would have been everyone's answer to this question a year ago, and now he's the last guy that we mentioned, which speaks volumes to how good these other guys have been. Well, Norman Powell, though, I, I, I love how he's playing off the bench. I love Dwayne Casey's comments about being an, more of an attacker off the bench. Uh, and and I really think that he's a guy that uh, will feel more ownership and more responsibility with that group. And I think those other guys around him will make him better and facilitate shots for him. Whereas I, I've said this many times, I think in the starting unit, you got a lot of needy guys in that unit that want the leather in their hands and want to express themselves and maybe sometimes don't know enough about how to facilitate for others consistently. And I think in that second unit, a needy guy like Powell gets to play with guys that, are, that really will hook him up. And uh, chemistry is an important thing. Team play is a big thing. And yet you need finishes. But you know, finishes are better when they play with guys that give it up. Jack, all things are rolling. This team is looking good. I'm not asking or talking about trades. But is there anyone you feel could, like, within the team as it is right now, can play a bit better, give you a little bit more, just to kind of help this team get to that next level? Well, I keep banging the drum. I mean, they need Ibaka and Valanciunas to play better. I mean, point blank, no mm. doubt. I mean, uh, Ibaka, I thought, played really hard last night. I, 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 it was a tough position to put him in uh, late. Now, he, uh, Dwayne Casey had to because I think Jakob Pertl absolutely hit the wall. Uh, but Ibaka came in at a few turnovers and, and I thought he had played well final before that final stretch where he came in, where he had sat on the bench for a while. So, but I thought he played super hard. They got to we got to see that guy every night. That guy who's competing, balling, not worrying about settling for threes, but getting to the rim, blocking shots, rebounding, playing with energy defensively, being that legitimate, consistent third option that the Raptors traded for and gave him a lot of money to be. And then Valanciunas, I've been hopping on this. I go crazy when I see him post up nine feet from the basket and then one bounce, two bounce, three bounce with a guard from the wing and a guard from the top can dig down and and force him to turn the ball over or take a lousy shot. And I'm a big believer that he's got to get both feet in the paint and start playing the man's game in there and beat the heck out of each other, uh, out of people and play a little bit more like an Andre Drummond or a Shaquille O'Neal or a guy like that and be a complete beast and be in beast mode all the time. And I think when he gets deep, he is a tough guy to stop. He's strong as an ox. He can finish with anybody, and he's a high-percentage player when he's there. And if you saw a few times last night, he caught the ball deep in the post, 
both feet in the paint and he kicked tail. And he's got to do more of that. And I think if he gets there, uh, I, I think he can really thrive. And, and I'll say this, too. I would love to see a lineup one time. And so many, so everybody's so caught up in Serge playing the five. I'd love to see a lineup one time where you put Lowry, DeRozan, and then C.J. Miles and either Norman Powell or Fred Van Vliet. It's some good shooting around them. And, and you kind of go four out, one in, and just let him play beast mode in the post. And then you got guys that can create on the perimeter and shoot the ball and move without it and do things. Uh, I think that he's a guy that, again, I, I think his value is better than people think. If he plays the way he can and gets to where he's supposed to, I think he's a guy that's very difficult to stop in this finesse-oriented NBA. All right, Jack, I've saved the hard-hitting stuff for last. I, I was thoroughly entertained by your conversation on the worst media meals in the NBA late in that Atlanta game. You mentioned Charlotte, Atlanta, Miami, I believe, and I wholeheartedly yes. agree with you. So my question now is, best three media meals in the NBA? Well, the ones I like, uh, I think Milwaukee is fabulous. The soups there are just to die for. They're always really good. Uh, and, you know, I, I think L.A., usually yep. the Clippers and the Lakers do a really nice job. Uh, where else? Let's see. Boston's always very good. Um, and then, uh, you know, there, there's a few others that can surprise you a little bit, but those are ones that are that are I always look forward to. But uh, no doubt Charlotte is by far the all-time worst. I mean, it is just horrendous. <laughs> I'm a sucker for the uh, soft-serve ice cream machines, so L.A. does it for me. I agree with you, Jacko. <laughs> Well, I'm always the guy, and, and I can name the, the uh, media rooms in, in the league that, that have cold beer after games, so yep. they that all go too. right to the top of the list. <laughs> all right, Jacko, we appreciate your time, and make sure you stay warm in Buffalo tomorrow. Oh, you got it. It would be a nice day tomorrow. I can't wait. Have a good one, Jack. Thank Thanks, Jack. you. Jack Armstrong joining us. Always interesting to hear about the media meals. We go analytics and we welcome in Neil Johnson. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050.